to invite you to pray with me on Easter Sunday, 2021. Would you pause and pray with me? Lord, we came into the room all dressed up. It's a big day for some of us. The first time we've been in a room like this in a long time. And that moves us in a way we can't fully articulate. But we didn't come here for that. We came here not for what you do for us on the outside. We came for what you can do for us on the inside. And for many of us, how we look on the outside covers up what we feel and what we've experienced and what we're going through on the inside. And and more than anything, on Easter Sunday 2021, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. We need peace. We need hope. We need purpose. We need forgiveness. All of those things that we wrestle with as as human beings, we, we need all of those. And so we're here this morning for that. And so would you speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit today? Help us to receive what it is you have to give. We ask for this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. I want to invite you to stand, remain standing with me if you're here in the room. We had, I'm, just make, I'm looking behind me because uh, in the first service, our, our computer completely died. It was an amazing experience if you missed it at the nine o'clock hour. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Scott. I have the privilege of serving here as, as the lead pastor. I just want you to know, Wichita First Church, I love you. I really do. Some of you are here for the first time in a long time, and uh, I'm so excited about that. Some of you are here as a guest. I'm so excited about that. Some of you are here because this is your church, and I'm so excited about that. But I just want you to know I love you, and I'm for you, and I'm with you. Um, And we're starting a new series today. So I'm going to read aloud the scriptures from John chapter 3. And then when we get to the end, there's a a couple famous uh, verses here. I'm going to have us read them out loud because we actually have a screen here in the room. Here we go, John chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are, and here's what we're going to talk about this morning, unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? And then I'd like for you to read very famously John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 out loud. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Well, we're starting this series today called Questions About God. I really do hope that you'll invite 
uh, some people in your life that you know that uh, wrestle with questions about God. We're going to be really honest about it. We're going to take the top answers and, uh, and use those as the, the framework for our series. And uh, in fact, if you did not have a chance to do the poll, I'm going to put it up behind me. You can t- still take that poll this week, send it to someone else. Um, and then if you saw on there a question, you think, but what about, I would love to hear that. And this, I've uh, got an email address here, my question at firstsnaz.org that comes right to me. And any questions that come up each week, I'll, I'll find a way to address those questions. And um, I'd love to interact with you about those questions. Um, so, and, and then we're going to go through this four weeks. And then after that, as we get ready to go into summer, we're going to do a series called Good Grief. Been a lot of loss in 2020, and we're going to talk about how do you deal with that. So I hope you'll be a part of that. Now, this series, we're going to, I'm going to give it to you as straight as I possibly can, because um, I, I've been doing this as a pastor for almost a quarter of a century now, and um, I really have come to have a deep love for people who struggle to believe. I'm, I'm really, honestly, I've been this way my entire life. I'm, I'm a skeptic myself. You need, to, you need to show me. You need to demonstrate. It needs to make sense to me. And so I have a real heart for people that wrestle with that. And so I want to invite you to, to go on the journey, uh, the journey with us and, and be, wrestle with the, those questions in a, in a really kind of uh, helpful way, I hope. Now, I want to, as we jump into the message today, I want to talk to you about this present moment. And I've got a metaphor for you that uh, has been in the news lately that I think really helps to sum up where we are, uh, both as people and as a culture and as, as, as a society and I, it's, for me, it's the, it's the Ever Given. Do you know the Ever Given? It's the, the ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. We've got a picture of it there. I don't know if that picture does quite justice to the scale of how large this ship is. If you have been watching this in the news, we've got another picture that just kind of, you can see the people there and the size of the ship. It's longer than the Empire State Building, if that gives you a sense of how big this ship is. It's just absolutely enormous. And it's a metaphor for me that the fact that with all of our ability and technology and insight and progress and things we understand as human beings, with all of that, we still somehow get stuck. And not in a minor way, we really get wedged in and it blocks the flow of life on all sides. Now, I want to I pause and laugh. Couldn't do this in the first service because I couldn't show these pictures. But there's some memes. If you don't know what a meme is, ask your grandkid. Um, but we're going we're gonna to bring all the dank memes here. Um, so we got a meme here of, uh, of this ship. Uh, there's Drake. If you know who Drake is, he's like, no, that. Um, everyone younger is going to laugh and everyone older is going to go, what is he doing right now? Next slide here. Um, we've got one, you know, my COVID depression, anxiety, going on a daily walk. Yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. Um, then if you're a Photoshop person who, re- this is just for those of you who know Photoshop, it's like, take that, rotate it 90 degrees clockwise. And then my all-time favorite right here, every dad is saw it when they saw this, it's like, <laughs> just some WD-40, that'll grease that thing right up and it should work out just great, just great. But here's why, here's why I think it's a really fitting metaphor, is, is it, it causes us to pause and ask a really, really important question. With all that we've got going on, with all that we've learned, why? Why do we still, personally, why do we still get stuck in life? Now, you got a couple options in answering that question. Number one is you could just ignore the question. And I think many people do, but I think you ignore the question to your own detriment. I have a friend who uh, is a pastor, and he had a, um, a, a college student in his, his congregation who went off to college, and uh, dad gave a car to them, and they drove to college. And, and uh, this little light came on 
uh, that said some work needed to be done on the car, and, and that's a college student whose gender shall remain unknown, um, that, that saw the light and didn't know what it meant and just got kind of frustrated by it. What well, was the light that comes on when you need to change the oil, you know? And so got so frustrated with the light, finally didn't know what to do, didn't think to call dad and ask, hey, what's this light on the car you got for me? And so instead found some black electrical tape and put it over the light as a way to ignore. Now you know what happened to the car, right? Eventually, ignoring the problem causes the problem. So you can do that. You can ignore the question and cause a problem for yourself. But if you're going to try to explain and make sense of this basic human question, which is, why do we get so stuck in life? You've got to have, I think, at least two things in your answer. Number one, you've got to have an answer that gives you some sort of explanatory power that goes as deep as the problem goes. Because the evergreen uh, was a, uh, a very, actually stuck way more than we thought. Every dad uh, did what I did when you first saw the picture. You went, well, you put a tugboat here and a tugboat there and you get her done. Yeah, that, every dad did that. But it's actually way more complex than that. There's all these hydrodynamics, and there was a windstorm and a dust storm and the speed of the ship and the, the displacement of the water. I mean, it was a very, very complex problem, and it wedged itself in much deeper than anyone understood. And uh, billions of dollars of, of, of trade go through the Suez Canal every day. Lloyd's of London, the famous insurance house, is uh, recording losses in the hundreds of millions of dollars as a result of it. I mean, a very, it's a very deep problem. On the surface, it just looks looks like something simple, but, but underneath there's a lot to it. So whatever you use to explain why we get stuck, however you come up with an answer, uh, you've got to have something that explains the depth of the problem. And then at the same time, you've also got to have something that has some transformative power. Whatever your solution is, it has to be able to make a real difference in the real issues. And so I want to suggest to you that what Jesus gives us here in, in John chapter 3 has both explanatory power and transformative power. Now, listen, you may not be a person who believes, or you may wrestle to believe, or you may just be here because someone made you show up today. And, and I just, here's, what I'm, here's my hope for you, is that you would just pause for a second and consider who it is that's saying these words. This is Jesus Christ. This is the person that's m maybe around the globe more recognized, uh, maybe considered the most successful person who's ever lived in terms of impact. And so could you just for a second say, okay, well, maybe there's something more here than what I understand. Because here's the message that Jesus gives to us, and this is why I want to start here. It, when Jesus says to us, if you want to have a true life, if you want to have a real life, then his little phrase, you must be born again. Now, I could preach to you about that, and I'm, and I'm going to, or I could just read you uh, an epitaph from a gravestone that sums it up. I'm going to read it to you here in a second. But I, I've done this thing for many years as a pastor. I, I say, listen, all of us are going to at some point have to pass what I call the box test. The, the box test is that there's going to come a point for you and for me when we're laying in a box down at a, the front of a room like this one. And, and someone like me is going to stand up and say some words, and there's some other people sitting out in the seats that are going to stand up and say the words. And, and what will they say about you? That's the box test. Are you going to pass the box test? So I, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a profound test to make you think about your end and 
focuses you in the present moment. But I could just read you this gravestone, and this is from uh, John Barrage. John Barrage was the vicar of a church in England, not far from Cambridge University in the town of Everton. And, and here's what it says. This is back in the day when people used to write on gravestones and, and try to um, pass a message on even in death about the person's life. And, and he was a, a very famous man in his day. Thousands of people attended his funeral when he died. But here's what it says. Listen. Uh, Here lie the earthly remains of John Barrage, late vicar, word for pastor, of Everton. Reader, art thou born again? No salvation without the new birth. I was born in sin, February 1716. Remain ignorant of my fallen state until 1730. Live proudly on faith and works for salvation until 1754. Was admitted to Everton Vicarage, the pastorate, 1755. Fled to Jesus alone for refuge, 1756. Fell asleep in Christ, January 22nd, 1793. I mean, that, that sums up the message of Jesus. Could just pray and be done. Are you ready? Well, let's pray. Okay. No, it's the new birth. I got five questions for you. Who is it for? What does it do? What does it heal? How can you tell? How do you get it? Who's it for? Well, when you hear that phrase, uh, most of us as typical Americans, when you hear the phrase uh, born again, probably what comes into your mind is a certain kind of person. That word, that phrase has been thrown around in a lot of different ways. And uh, I think there are kind of generally uh, maybe three different kinds of persons that come into the typical American's mind when you hear that phrase. Number one, a lot of people think that a born-again person is one of those people who's uh, very emotional and they like to express their emotions and so they want to belong to a church where they can sing songs and have their arms up in the air and, and so they're mainly driven by their emotion, not reason or thought. That's one type of person. Or uh, some people say, well, you know, I know, I know what the born-again person is. The born-again person is that very broken person. They've been deeply damaged by life, and so they go to these very conservative churches where there's a lot of moral structure because they need that moral structure because they don't know how to function without it. And yeah, I've, I've heard about those kinds of people, those born-again people. That's what they're like. Or you might think this is the person who's just kind of knee-jerk. They, they want to conserve everything, so they're a conservative, and they, they, just need, they like the morality of that, and they like feeling better than other people. And, and that, but that, that would be a way, and that's a way most Americans, when they hear that phrase, write off the message of Jesus, and it's an easy way to say, see, I don't have to pay attention to what Jesus actually has to say. Because when you look at the, the passage itself, it actually undermines that, because that's a very patronizing way to think about people. Um, and and here's, where you, here's where I get that from, is you look at who Nicodemus was, who Jesus is talking to when he's telling this, this phrase, born, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Who's Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus is a very high-status person. He was a member of the ruling class. He would have been a very wealthy man. He had a very high place in society. This is not an emotional-type person. This is not a person who is just looking for a church that sings the right kind of songs so they can raise their hand to it. This is not that kind of person. Uh, he was a Pharisee. So Pharisees, if you know who they were, very moral people, uh, loads of structure in their life. I mean, this is not someone who's so broken, they have to have some sort of structure. He's already got all the structure in the world, all the morality in the world. And then this is somebody who comes to Jesus, who has a, no pedigree, no credentials, and calls him rabbi as an honor term, and says, uh, you have something to teach me. This is somebody who's very open-minded to new ideas. This is not someone who's a, a knee-jerk wanting to just conserve things and wants to be better than people. This is someone who's, who's very, very open. So being born again then cannot mean 
then that you just need more morality and religion in your life and everything will go well for you. Because here's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you have all the morality and all of the religion and you need to be born again. He's not saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you know what? You've, you're, about, you're about three quarters of the way there and um, I've got this spiritual vitamin or supplement for 1995. If you'll just take it, it'll, it'll get you the rest of the way there. He doesn't say that at all. He says, listen, Nicodemus, no matter how good you are, you must be born again. So it's, it's a message for you. No matter how good you are, no matter how broken you are, you must be, you can be born again. Jesus is saying the problem is universal. Everybody struggles with it. It's not limited to a certain kind or type of person. Who is it for? It's for all of humanity and you. What's it do? Well, uh, if we're trying to understand the problem, we've got to understand what's, what's really going on. And, and I think this is one of the things, at least that I'm noticing in our culture right now, is we're wrestling to understand our identity. We're trying to figure out who we are. And we're at odds, and, and we're, we're very conflicted about um, how to get our identity. I'm going to show you, I think, how we're conflicted in just a second. Because we have two um, ways that we're trying to get our identity, and they're very frankly, they're at odds with each other. And if you choose one, you automatically exclude the other. So there's one way that people get, and this is honestly the, the majority of people on planet Earth get their identity this way. They're, they live in a traditional kind of a culture. Uh, might be a Latino culture or an Asian culture, an African culture. In other words, anywhere that's not North America and Western Europe. Um, most traditional cultures function this way. You, your, your ultimate goal in life in a traditional kind of culture is to do whatever is good for your family. And you are a good person when you do what your family asks. That's how you know you're a good person. You did what mom asked. You did what grandma asked. You, you, you lived up to their expectations for you. Um, you took on the family business. You took on the family's values. You belong to the family's church or religion. That's just what you do, and you don't want to bring shame onto your family for doing that. That's how you, that's how you get an identity is by doing your part in your family. Now, the problem with that is that it can be incredibly oppressive and you lose yourself in that. In fact, there's a whole thing going on. A lot of, a lot of cultures in Wichita um, are this way. You have the first culture that comes from this other country and they're, they're uh, you know, expressing their values. And then that second culture grows up in America in a Western setting and says, I don't really want your culture anymore. And there's this, this dynamic that's happening inside of those cultures. If you, if you want to hear more about this, you could uh, listen to the comedian Hassan Manan. You may have heard, seen his Netflix special where he talks about, uh, about what it's like to grow up in a traditional culture. And, and very frankly, for, for those of us who are Western kinds of, of people, grew up in this kind of environment, this is very, very jarring for us. But we need to understand that there are more people on the planet who find their identity this way than the way that we usually do. Now, the way we do it, the other way is that if you're from the, a Western culture, is, it goes like this. This is how you find your identity. Hey, um, you, you define you. Uh, your, your desires are the primary thing that you need to fulfill. And, and, and the assumption is this. I mean, who am I to tell you what you ought to do? And so part of the job when you're finding your identity in a Western culture is your, your job is to just find your own path, your own truth, and then at the same time affirm everybody else for doing the exact same thing. So you know you're a good person when you're living out your truth and you're affirming everyone's attempt to do the same. Now, there, there are problems with this too. Uh, number one, is this is, a, uh, this is a performative identity. What do, I, what do I mean by that? I mean that if you fail, 
the failure is all on you. Because if you're in a traditional culture and you're doing what your family asks and you bring some shame on your family, they're most likely still going to accept you and you still have some place to land. But in in our culture, it's not that way. The pressure is all on you to succeed. And, and honestly, your desires change. So how in the world do you know if you're acting on the right one right now? How do you even know that? It's a completely performative identity. And honestly, it's why in Western culture, we have a loneliness epidemic, why our rates of using drugs um, to deal with depression and anxiety are much, much higher than in traditional cultures. In fact, I, I think we have kind of a cultural COVID whenever uh, Western culture is transplanted to another place. Those same viral effects affect that culture as well. It's why we're lonely, because it's all up to me. I'm by myself. And at the same time, if you're just saying, well, then I've got to affirm everybody else, and so that means I've got to affirm traditional uh, culture, uh, cultures, that means that you're disagreeing with yourself, because listen, traditional culture doesn't affirm you. They, they, they would say, what do you mean you're going to leave your parents and go off and find your way in the world and move to the big city? What are you talking about? Why would you do that? But you struggle with it if you're a Western person because you're like, well, I'm supposed to affirm them, but they don't agree with me. So how do I make this work? And if you don't, then you're a cultural imperialist imposing your values on them. And so can you see why it's a struggle? Like we're trying to figure this out. How do you figure out your identity, and it's, we're very, very conflicted about it. We don't know which way to go. And, and the reason is in both of the, both in traditional cultures and in Western cultures, you're earning an identity. Now, Jesus, the metaphor that he gives us here in John chapter 3 is of a birth. That's his metaphor. And, and you know what happens when a, when a baby is born. Listen, I was in the room when all three of my children were born, born, and if you're a single male and you don't know what happens in the room when a baby is born, just ask a woman at lunch today and brace yourself for hearing some things you wish you never had, right? I mean, that's pretty much how that goes. But, but when, a, when a baby is born, that baby is born automatically into a family. Jesus is not saying born into a traditional culture family, born into God's family, And so instead of having to earn an identity, you receive an identity. You receive automatically an empowering identity. You're born belonging. You're born with potential. And think about this for a second. When you're born, it's that metaphor, all of a sudden you have a new way of seeing things. You're alive to the world around you in a way that you weren't before. You have new senses, so to speak. And, and if, you were to, if you were to mind the theologians who write about this, or you were to just ask a lot of the people sitting in this room, or maybe on the couch next to you, what it was like, who've been born again, they would tell you something like, you know, it's like I could see for the first time The colors were richer, and the sky was a deeper blue, and the grass was a richer green, and it seemed like everything was singing. You'd hear that over and over again. That's what the new birth does. And so Jesus says, no one, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can do this. No one can have this alive experience unless they are born again. Now, if you were to jump a little bit back in the Gospel of John to John chapter 1, John describes how Jesus gives life to people, and then we'll put it on the screen for you. It says this, yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right 
to become, there's the metaphor again, children of God. Children, now notice, children born not of natural descent, traditional cultures, nor of human decision, Western cultures, or a husband's will, but born of God. What's it do? Puts you into a new family, gives you an identity. What's it heal? Well, again, remember, you got to have whatever your solution is, you got to have explanatory power, and then you got to have transformative power. And this is what Jesus says in John 3, 6. We read it just a minute ago. Flesh, it seems on the surface like a mystery. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And in other words, uh, like produces like. Flesh has flesh problems. What's flesh? Flesh is me and you. And, and me and you have me and you problems, right? And, and what, what is one of our main problems? Well, John says it in John 3, 17, but here's, here's the word. Uh, he says, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. I, I think one of our main problems is condemnation. If I had a title for the 2020 and the last number of months that we've been through together as a culture, I would call it, uh, I would say that 2020 is the year of condemnation, right? Uh, both inter interpersonally between each other, we've condemned each other into the dust, and we've almost pulverized our country with condemnation. And interpersonally, inside of me, the things that we say to ourselves that condemn ourselves. I mean, there is many things that we say to ourselves that condemn ourselves as there are people. What is there, seven billion people on planet Earth? There's probably at least seven things that we say to ourselves where we condemn ourselves. 49 billion different ways that we condemn ourselves. You know, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm too rich, I'm too poor, I'm too sad, I'm too disciplined, I'm too undisciplined. I mean, just the list is absolutely endless of the ways that we condemn ourselves and condemn each other. And there are, frankly, industries around condemnation management that are worth billions of dollars. Just think about the industries, self-help and law and medicine and psychology. And here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, flesh gives birth to flesh. You, you can't solve a me and you problem with more of me and you. At best, what we're doing is we're putting salve on the problem. So he says, here's the solution is the spirit has to give birth to spirit. In other words, you need change at a different level. You need not change that just comes from the inside of you, but from outside of you. John wrote the Gospel of John, which is one of the four uh, biographies of the life of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that opens the New Testament. And then John writes several letters to some Christians in other places uh, later in the New Testament, and the letters are called 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And in 1 John, he picks up on this, this message of condemnation, and I want you to hear it, and we're going to put it on the screen for you, 1 John three nineteen. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. That's what everybody's looking for. How can I belong to the truth? How can I be right? And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. That's the human condition. How do I make my heart? It's like it, it's, it, keeps, it keeps spewing toxicity at me. How do I put my heart at rest? I don't know how to stop these thoughts. Listen to what he says. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is, what? Greater than our hearts. So what does it heal? It heals your heart at a level that you can't. 
So being born again is not the religious version of just piling on. Being born again is the offer of healing. How can you tell? Later in the Gospel of John, Nicodemus appears again after the the crucifixion of Jesus. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea, also a very wealthy man and a very highly respected man, went to the authorities and they asked for the body of Jesus. And then they themselves, John says, wrapped and prepared the body for burial. Now, you got to understand what's going on with that. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in secret at night. Meaning what? He doesn't want to be seen. Doesn't want anybody to know what he's doing. He's hiding. He, he, something has happened to Nicodemus because at the end of, after Jesus' crucifixion, I, I think the light bulb came on and he went, ah, I need to be born again. And he was born again and he, and he went, okay, I'm now willing to rest, risk my reputation. So, I don't know what, you, you could say, well, I'm not sure what happened. Well, I'm not sure what happened either, but something's happened to Nicodemus. And then they themselves, these two high-status men who I'm sure had armies of servants at their disposal, and, and the work of embalming a body was the work of the slaves and the servants and the women. Men would never do that. And here they humble themselves, and they do it themselves. Now, something has happened to these men. Something's changed them. Again, you got to have, whatever your solution is, you gotta have, it's got to have explanatory power, and it's got to have transformative power. Now, how, how in the world do you and I welcome this? The word uh, born again there is in, in the Greek language. It's, it's the word, because uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, is the word anothenon, which is two words put together, and it means born from above. And, and it's, a, it's a spatial way to represent that this is not, salvation is not from within you or within me. It's from some other place. In other words, it's, it's from God and it's supernatural. It comes from God. Uh, let me translate that for you in, uh, in 2021. That means that it's a gift. And, and I don't mean it's a gift in the way that a, a vendor that you use at your business at Christmas time comes and brings you the big basket. You know, that's not really a gift. That's like, please keep giving us your business. That's not, they didn't just walk in one day and go, you know, we think you're so wonderful. We just wanted to show you an expression of love. No, no, no. It's like, keep the money coming, buddy. It's not that kind of gift. It's the kind of gift that your mom gave you at Christmas when you were seven. You didn't earn it. You didn't pay for it. You didn't do anything for it. All you could do was receive it. How do, you, how do you welcome it? Well, Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, this is how he says it. He says, listen, th- th- listen, listen. The time has come. In other words, your moment is here. Easter 2021, this is your moment. Here's Jesus, this is what he's saying. This is your moment. Don't miss your moment. Why is it your moment? The kingdom of God is available to someone like you. And so the best way that you could turn and receive the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is that you would repent and believe the good news. Now, we used to live on the East Coast near the ocean. And if you know anything about boats in the ocean and they sit in a slip, uh, they get what's called barnacles. It's like a little mollusk shell type thing that attaches to the hull. 
and you have to go down, you have to hire somebody or have the tools yourself and go and scrape it off the hull. And if you leave it, it'll, it'll slow the boat down in the water. So you've got to always be scraping the barnacles off. It just, they gather. And, and, and words are like that. And, and I think the words repent and believe have gathered a lot of barnacles over time. So let me just let me scrape the barnacles away and tell you what Jesus is saying here. Repent, it just means to rethink, reconsider, pause and, and think about the direction that you've been heading. See if you've actually got a solution that works. Stop ignoring the problem and start asking questions about, like, is this, what do I want for my life? That's repent. If, if you live with somebody and, and you're married to someone and they don't have the ability to repent, meaning to rethink or, or to recognize they may have been doing it wrong, it's miserable. That's why marriages are miserable because one or both parties are just unrepentant. If you've ever worked for a boss who's unrepentant and is always right, it's miserable. If you've ever uh, had a parent who's always right, wait a second, I'm a parent of a teenager. Parents are always right. You, you get what I'm saying, right? If you live with someone who doesn't have that life skill, because that's what repentance is, it's the ability to rethink things and go, ah, I've got new information. And you may very well feel very sorry for the way things have been. And you may very well say, I need a new direction. I mean, Jesus is implying all of those things. But it, at its core, it's, I'm going to rethink things. I'm going to dig down and remove the things that have me. I'm going to figure out what are those things that have me stuck? How do I get rid of them? And then you believe. You start acting. You only believe the things that you do. You start acting on the things that you've now rethought that are now available to you because of Jesus. You, you repent and believe the good news. I wanted to understand uh, how the Evergreen was, the Evergiven was freed. And so I, I looked up, it took him about six days. Again, it was a complex problem. There were two factors. Number one, there was this uh, dredge ship that came into the canal and called the Mash Hour. What a great name for a boat, the Mash Hour. The Mash Hour can dredge uh, 70,000 cubic meters of sand and mud, I think in an hour or so, something like that. And over the course of six days, it dredged from underneath the vessel and around the vessel uh, over a million cubic meters of sand and mud. I mean, it did all the work of digging things out, you know. But that wasn't it. That wasn't the only thing that freed the Ever Given. The other thing that freed the Ever Given was what they call the king tide. In the spring, these large tides come in, the biggest tides that raise boats, and they call it the king tide, the biggest tide. And you know what a tide is, right? It's the force of the moon on the gravitational field of the earth pulling the water up. This is, this is, this is Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday, right? Whoever can rise from the dead is automatically the king. And automatically has the ability to pull you out of your circumstances and float your boat that's stuck. So for me, that's like a great, I'm like, oh, that, I, I read that. I went, oh, wow, what a great metaphor. What a great illustration of what you actually do in the human heart. Yeah, we got a little bit of work to do, dig some stuff out. But man, you got to have something that's going to pull you and lift you. Because you can't do it on your own. That's the, that's the new birth. It's the invitation of a new life to be born again. So I'd like to pray for you, if that'd be okay. Um, I'd invite you to stand with me here in the room if you're at home. I want to pray for you as well. 
when I pray often, sometimes I keep my eyes open, but often when I pray, I'll close my eyes just as a way to crowd everything else out, and I'd invite you to do that. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for this beautiful word that you give us, that our problems are not too much for you. that while we may be wedged into something that we do not know how to release ourselves from, that is not a barrier to you. We admit that we get stuck. Some of us have gotten stuck by a lot of things. I pray today, God, that we would hear your word, that this is our moment. This is it. Here's the moment. The time has come that your kingdom is now available. It's at hand. It's near. It's close. It's graspable. It's tangible. No, God, give us the courage to rethink things, to rethink the direction of our life, to begin to act in accordance with what you say, that we can be born again, that there's power from above us, outside of us, little us, to lift us and change us and make us new. And so, Jesus, we, are, we, we celebrate you as the resurrected king. Not an idea, but you really rose. You really rose. That means you really are the king. You bring the king tide that raises all boats. So do that in our hearts today. And if this is a moment for you where you, you think, I've never done that before. Hey, just, let me just offer you this prayer you can just say in your heart. Lord, today, I, I'm not sure I fully understand all this, but I definitely want to be free. So I need you to forgive me for the mess that I've gotten myself in. Thank you for what you've done for me. Forgive me. Wipe the slate clean. I want you to lead my life. And you may have already, um, you may have already gone down that path and you're on the path of following Jesus and you still need the resurrection power. We all need the resurrection power. You need the resurrection power in your marriage or you need the resurrection power in your business or in relationship with your kids, your grandkids. Lord, here we are again. People in need. It's the stuff on the inside we need you to help us with. So thank you for this beautiful word that we can be born again. It's the start of a new life. We receive it today. We pray this in your name and all God's people said.